0: Jeremiah chapter 23. Now, um, uh, if you've noted, uh, here at 8th Creek, we love Christmas trees. Um, we've got a lot of them this year. Uh, uh, and I've got two back there, two for me. Uh, I get to look at them too. So you guys got yours, I got mine. And we're all good here, at Christmas trees. But there's probably some of you that are sitting here in this crowd going, Bahumbug, you guys are Satanists. You guys are worshiping Semiramis and Temuz and the you know, Saturnalia and the winter solstice and Babylon and Rome and all this stuff and the Yule log and mistletoe and all that hot cross bun. Some of you, hey, chill down, Harry Potter. Hold on a second here. I got to say, um, I'm going to show you how that notion of when people have Christmas trees, you're just worshiping some pagan or doing some pagan practice. Uh, by having Christmas tree with lights and stuff like that. There's actually, I kind of want to show that that whole argument's a little bit actually, and I'm sorry if this offends you, but it's a little ridiculous, and I'll show you why. Um, Because it's definitely not uh, what we're doing. But I do love Christmas trees. Um, Did you see the Rockefeller Center Christmas tree this year? people were calling it the Charlie Brown Christmas tree. And some people were saying typical of 2020. Uh, 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 this tree, they, they flew all the way in from Norway uh, just to put there in the Rockefeller Center. And as they, as they unfurled its branches, they're like, wow, this is not a great tree. And so they actually have sneak video footage of guys literally taking branches and, and like bringing them up and, and tying them off onto the tree to try to beef up the tree because it was so ugly, they had to uh, put extra branches in the tree. Um, so all that to say, <laughs> uh, you know, uh, they're calling it the Charlie Brown Christmas tree of the Rockefeller Center, 2020, typical, all that stuff. but. You know, the Christmas tree is an interesting thing. And, uh, and if you know the history of it, some of you might say, well, Brett, it really does come from a pagan practice. But the, the Christmas tree as we know it and as we see it today has really no resemblance at all to what they did back then. And we'll, we'll tie that in and talk about that. But when when my kids were growing up in the house, Deb and I, we'd always put up a Christmas tree and we would love to point to Jesus and and, and show how how the Christmas tree is actually uh, reminds us of great things of Jesus. We don't worship it. It's just like a nice reminder, sort of like the cross is a nice reminder of what Jesus did. When you have a cross on a necklace, it reminds you that Jesus died on the cross. Well, a tree, it reminds us. You know, here in Oregon, it gets gray once in a while. Uh and uh today was pretty dark, even at the eight o'clock service. It still looked like nighttime out there uh this morning. But um but you know, um one of the things I love about Oregon, even though we lose all the leaves of you know, the the certain trees, I love that we have all the evergreen trees. They stay green all year round. And I remember telling our kids, you know, the, the Christmas tree is it reminds us of everlasting life that we have through Jesus Christ. Um and then I could talk about the tree itself. Trees in the Bible often point to the cross. In fact, um, you know, there's a curse in the Old Testament. Cursed be the man that hangs on a tree. And Jesus was cursed for for us. He who knew no sin became sin, the scriptures tell us. He took all of our sin upon himself when he died on the cross. And then the New Testament says that Jesus was hung on a tree. Like the image of a tree is something that the Bible actually points us to the cross itself. Um, Do you remember the story? There's a picture. Remember, all these are types and illustrations, 1 Corinthians 10 tells us. But one of the great pictures of the Old Testament is there in Exodus 15, where they came to that poisonous water. They hadn't had a drink of water for three days. Children of Israel, wandering through the wilderness. But they came to the waters of Mara. Mara means bitter. And the water was poisoned. So they, they took a sip, and they spit it out. So this water's poison. We can't drink it. We're gonna die out here. And they chided with Moses and said, we're gonna kill you. And they started to pick up rocks. They wanted to stone him to death. Moses said, Lord, what do I do? And the story takes an interesting turn. It says there that the Lord showed Moses a tree. And he took that tree and he threw it in the bitter waters. And do you remember what happened? The waters became sweet. The waters of Mara became sweet and the people drank and lived great picture of how when you bring the, the tree of Calvary into our lives, we were destined for death and we were poisoned with sin. But Christ is the one who makes us forgiven and, and saved because of the tree. And you could go on and on. The image of the tree itself is, is a great reminder of Christ. So evergreen, everlasting life. The tree reminds us of the cross. But there's another one I want to show you that you can pass on to your kids. And it has to do with one of the titles given to our Messiah, Jesus in the Old Testament by the prophets. It's a title that many of you may not have heard of. Um, I've not heard a Christmas, ser- Christmas sermon given about, about this topic. Um, and very few sermons are actually given about the topic at all, Christmas or otherwise. But I find it to be an interesting title that is given to the Messiah that I think it has a, a, a really appropriate meaning and maybe even more so around Christmas time. What is that title? Well, let's take a look at our text. Jeremiah 23 verse five. It says there in Jeremiah 23, five, Behold, the days come, saith the Lord, that I will raise unto David a righteous branch and a king shall reign and prosper and shall execute judgment and justice in the earth. In his days, Judah shall be saved and Israel shall dwell safely. This is the name whereby he shall be called the Lord our righteousness. Now your margin shows the Lord our righteousness as the Hebrew Jehovah or Jehovah Sidkenu. It's the Hebrew word, the Lord our righteousness. Now, Now this passage here is interesting because in verse five it says there, I will raise up unto David a righteous branch. That's what he's called, a righteous branch. Capital B in many of your Bibles there, the word branch. Why? Because that's a title. Jesus the Messiah, who would come and rule and reign in the millennial kingdom. That's what's what we're talking about here, because it's when Israel and Judah will dwell in peace and safety. It's funny how Jerusalem that means the city of peace. Yerushalem, city of peace. Is Jerusalem a city of peace? Has it ever been a city of peace? If you know your history, there may not be too many cities that have had more war and bloodshed than Jerusalem. And yet it's going to be called that because of its future when Jesus comes and rules and reigns in Jerusalem on a second coming. Jesus will rule and reign from Jerusalem. That's when they're gonna have this time where the king of kings will sit in the throne and he'll be called the Lord our righteousness or the Lord Sidkenu, that's his name. Now remember, the name of God is interesting because Moses heard the name at the burning bush. I am that I am the great tetragrammaton, we've talked about that. But Moses would have said, you are what? Well, the rest of the Old Testament starts to reveal who the great I am, Y-H-W-H, doesn't have all the letters in it because it's such a holy word. So Y-H-W-H, is that what it is? Well, some people say it's Yahweh, others say Jehovah or Yahovah, but it's, it's a holy name of God, I am. Well, you are what? Well, then the Holy Old Testament starts to reveal, you are Jehovah, Jehovah Sidkenu, the Lord, our righteousness. Or there's others, Jehovah Rapha, the God that is our healer. Or Jehovah Jireh, the God that what? Provides, he's the provider, Jehovah Jireh. Uh, Jehovah Nisi is our banner. And we could go on, there's all these names of God that's revealed. And we looked at this on, 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 uh, on Wednesday night. We'll talk a little bit more about that today. This Jehovah uh, Sidkenu, the Lord our righteousness. But that's his name. But as it turns out, the Messiah, the Lord our righteous also has a title given to him. And there's many titles of Jesus. Did you know that? Jesus the Christ. Um, is, is it Mr. Jesus Christ, Jesus first name, Christ last? No, Jesus was his name or Yeshua as they would have called him in those days. Yeshua was as common as Bill or Bob or Joe uh, today, um, Yeshua. But it's Yeshua the Christos. Um, it's it's it, the Christ is a title, the Mashiach or the Messiah. When you call him Jesus Christ, you're saying Jesus, the Messiah, the fulfillment of the Old Testament prophecies about who would come to save the world and to be seated on the throne and, and bring in everlasting peace and an end of sin. This is Jesus, the Messiah, the Christ. But what are some of the names that Jesus has? Well, we sang one earlier, Emmanuel. The angels came and said his name will be Emmanuel. Well, is it Jesus or is Emmanuel? Yes, both. And why is he called Emmanuel? God with us. So we learn these titles of Jesus, but do you wanna know something interesting? The title that I'm sharing with you this morning, the branch, the righteous branch, did you know that's used more in the Bible than the word Emmanuel? Like, we should know this. Don't you think if it's used more than Emmanuel? Like, well, I love Emmanuel. I love that title. It's a great Christmas title of Jesus because God came and lived among us. Jesus, born in Bethlehem. It's a great Christmas theme. But I think the branch is also a great Christmas theme. And the name of, or the title of the branch is actually used more than even Emmanuel in the Bible. Um, now, before we show you this, I sh- I'll show you all some of these scriptures um, that, that the branch is used. But, um, but there's, there's interesting Hebrew words that are used for the word branch. One of the things I like to share with you, it's not that I get, like, love getting into the Hebrew language or the Greek or trying to sound esoteric or academic, but it is interesting how the Hebrew, the Greek has such a, uh, uh, an amazing you know, list of words that we don't really have. In a way, you could say the English language is a little clumsier than some of these ancient languages. And what do you mean, Brett, clumsier? Well, like, you know, I always mention the word love. We have one word for love, love. And I can love a hot fudge Sunday and I love my wife, Debbie. Well, those are two different things. Yeah, exactly. We should have two words for that. As it turns out, the Greek has four, at least four, maybe five words that you could equate with the word love. But you wanna know how many words there are in the Hebrew for the word branch? 19. There's 19 words. you're like, Brad, I like this branch. There's a branch right there. Uh, It could be a branch that's, you know, four feet around and and fell off of a giant redwood. Could be a branch, a little twig sitting on the ground. Could be a branch of a little stem of a blossom and a tiny little microscopic branch coming off of there. It could be a branch, something you hit your brother with when you're a little kid. Like, like branch, it could be any number of things. But that's why there's 19 Hebrew words describing the word branch. Now, when we're talking about the branch, uh, the righteous branch, the, the, the picture of Jesus, the Messiah being called the branch, there's two of those Hebrew words, 19 words altogether, but two of them that are referring to Jesus, the Messiah. And I want to show you, this is interesting. Maybe I'm weird. I get intrigued by these things. But the two words, one is Simba. And if you want to say it like the Hebrew, it's kind of hard. You say Simba and then you make an H sound, but it's got to come from down here. Give it a try. Sima. <laughs> <laughs> I joke. Uh, and if you speak uh, fluent Hebrew, uh, don't laugh at me. But it is, it is funny. When you go to, you go to Israel, uh, you know, the, the Hebrew language is, is it comes, a lot of it comes from down here, but it's Sima. And, and then the, the second word, branch, is Netzer. And this word Netzer uh, is, is the second word that is used speaking of the branch, Jesus. Now you look at the definition, sprout growth branch or branch shoot sprout. Brett, that's the same thing. They mean the same thing. Yes, but there's a nuance that you will miss in the English language. Um, One branch speaks of a hopeful excitement. That's the Samah. And then there's one that's sort of like, it's tiny and unimpressive, vulnerable, not powerful, not huge, but a little branch, a sprout that's sort of tender. A tender plant, a tender sprout. By the way, in some of the discussions in the Bible about the branch, Jesus, he's called a tender, uh, a tender uh, netzer. It's like he even gives an adjective that explains even how tender it is. So one is hopeful and exciting, sort of like a a sprout in the springtime. Again, you Oregonians know this, when you first, first see the blossoms on the tree, you're like, oh, thank the Lord, we might see the sun again someday. And it's hopeful, it's new life. That's the word Sama when it comes to the sprout or a branch or or the growth that comes out. That's the word Sama, branch. But the word Netzer is, it's small, vulnerable and unimpressive. Well, Brett, how could that be tied to Jesus Christ, the Messiah? Well, I'll show you how that is tied to Jesus here in a second. Uh, but let's go over some of, the, uh, some of the scriptures, some of the things that talk about Jesus. I already showed you our text, Jeremiah 23, verses five and six. But even Isaiah the prophet jumps on this bandwagon of Jesus being called the righteous branch. It's Isaiah chapter four, verse two. There it says, in that day shall the branch. And that word, by the way, is, is uh, samach, the, uh, the, the hopeful one. In that day, the branch, the Samah of the Lord. Um, be beautiful and glorious, and the fruit of the earth shall be excellent and comely. It's Isaiah is talking uh, futuristically about the branch of the Lord. This is the Messiah who's gonna come and it's gonna make the earth again, excellent and comely. That's hopeful. Isn't that a hopeful statement? That the branch is coming someday. And by the way, uh, that's that word Sama. Isaiah 11 is the second time Isaiah uses this word, speaking of Jesus. He says there in Isaiah 11, and this is the word, Netzer, there. And there shall come forth a rod out of the stem of Jesse and a branch shall grow out of his roots and the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. Um, who is this that's out of the stem? Um, there's gonna come a rod out of the stem of Jesse. Now this is talking, and it's not trying to, I don't want to be overly graphic. So you guys that uh, kind of know what's being said here, it is it is kind of a graphic thing, but it's basically saying the seed of Jesse came David. Then out of David came his descendants. And out of that, it comes this, uh, ultimately this, this sprout, this netzer, unimpressive little Uh, stem rooting out. Okay? So this is that part that you say, well, how could that be unimpressive? Well, it was. In fact, it even starts being unimpressive right with David. Do you recall when Samuel was getting ready to crown the next king of Israel? He calls all of Jesse's sons together. Hey, one of your sons is going to be the king. So they line up Jesse's sons. All of them are there, you know, okay, and Samuel's going down. I can just see it in my mind's eye. Samuel looks at son number one. No. No. No, 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 no. None of them were the, the and Samuel's like, don't you have any other sons? And Jesse's like, no, that's it. Well, wait a minute. We do have another kid, uh, David, but he's a little ruddy youth, the Bible says, a little ruddy guy. Well, go get him. So isn't this funny? They just kind of, for, like Jesse forgot that he had David, a son. Have <laughs> You ever fought, forgotten you one of your children? So they get David, David leaves the flock with a shepherd, I like that. And then he comes in and he stands there and Samuel says, this is the one. It's gonna be the king. And it'll come out of the rod, out of the stem of Jesse, will come this branch that will grow out of its roots, this little tiny, unimpressive stem. We'll get back to that in a second, but that's where that word netzer is used in Isaiah 11, verses one and two. Isaiah 60 brings it up again in Isaiah 60, but the word there is also netzer. Thy people shall also be all righteous. Now notice the word righteous, because in our text in Jeremiah 23 that we read, Jehovah said, you, the righteous one, is linked to this messianic title, the branch. Righteousness and the branch are linked. So it says, thy people shall all be righteous. They shall inherit the land forever, the branch of my planting. Uh, as it says there in Isaiah 60, the work of my hands that I may be glorified. A little one shall be a thousand, become a thousand and a small one, a strong nation. From, from uh, smallness to bigness, I, the Lord, will hasten it in his time. So, um, so, so, so far we have Isaiah three times mentioning the Messiah Jesus as the branch. Uh, and two times he refers to it as the netzer, one time the shema. Okay, are you guys with me so far? Those are three pre- pretty big mentions by Isaiah the prophet. Let's move on to uh, Jeremiah. Now, I already told you our text today was Jeremiah 23 verses five and six. But then he repeats himself here in Jeremiah thirty-three fifteen 15 and 16. It says there, in those days at that time, I will cause the branch of righteousness to grow up unto David and he shall execute judgment and righteousness in the land. In those days shall Judah be saved and Jerusalem shall dwell safely and this is the name wherewith she shall be called the Lord our righteousness. Brad, is that a typo, the she there? Well, as it turns out in Jeremiah 33, 56, it says she. Well, which one is it? He or she? 23 says he. As it turns out, This is a little confusing, especially if you're trying to learn Hebrew. Do you want to know some Hebrew? I'll teach you some Hebrew. Are you ready? Does anybody want to know how you say she in Hebrew? It's he. (laughs) If you want to say he in Hebrew, that means she. Uh, Does anybody know what he is in Hebrew? Who? Huh? Yeah, he is who, she is, is he. Are you guys with me on that? It gets confusing. But to make it even more confusing, the Hebrew word for she here is he, but as it turns out, he can be translated as he, she, or they. And it's not one of these you know, transgender title things you know, that people are trying to do today. It's not one of those. The Hebrew can use the word he for he or she. And um, so it's a translation issue that people have. And so some of your translations will say she, and if you have a King James, it says she. But if you have like a newer translation, some of them say he because they know that that's what it's referring to. Uh, And it also said that in Jeremiah chapter 23 clearly. So don't be thrown off by these things. But this is really Jeremiah repeating the same thing from Jeremiah 23 uh, as he's repeating in 33. So Jeremiah is a big proponent of this title of the Messiah, the branch. And he also links the branch to the righteousness of God. And we'll show how that shakes out. The next one that uses this is the prophet Zechariah in Zechariah 3.8. Here, excuse me, here now, O Joshua, the high priest. That's not Joshua with Moses, different Joshua. Thou and thy fellows that sit before thee, for they are men wondered at, for behold, I will bring forth my servant, the branch. And this is also a messianic reference. And then Zechariah jumps on it in chapter six again. In verse 12, he says, And speak unto him, saying, Thus speaketh the Lord of hosts, saying, Behold, the man whose name is the branch. Now, both of these Zechariah mentions is the word semah in the Hebrew. Um, And he uses that as the hopeful branch. Behold, the man whose name is the branch, he shall grow up out of his place and shall build the temple of the Lord. Even he shall build the temple of the Lord and he shall bear the glory and shall sit and rule upon his throne. And he shall be a priest upon his throne and the council of peace shall be between them both. Now, how do we know for sure this is the Messiah? Well, you Bible students know already, this is easy because there's only one person who can be both a king sitting on a throne and also a priest. Who's that? Jesus, the Messiah, right? Uh, Kings that tried to do priest work and king work got punished. You couldn't do that. Only Jesus is a prophet, priest, and a king. Well, All that to say, Zechariah employs this term as well. I'm just showing you here in the Old Testament, over and over again, these prophets talked about the coming Messiah as the righteous branch who would come and grow up and sprout from smallness to greatness is the idea there. So what's the big deal, Brett? So what? So you got all these scriptures about Jesus, the branch. What do I care if he's called a branch? Well, these things are there for a purpose. You and I, if you wanna know Jesus the Messiah better, we should know these titles that are given to him. And I think this is one of the glorious ones that people kind of miss some of the nuances about who Jesus is and why he came. So let's take a look. Number one, if you're jotting down notes, the branch, it speaks of humility to nobility, humility to nobility. Um, That's especially the Netzer version where it's unimpressive. You say, how can you speak of Jesus in that way of him being unimpressive? Well, isn't it interesting that Jesus chose to come in a lot of ways, unimpressively. He didn't come the way I would have come. You know, if I'm God and I wanna reveal myself to y'all, you know what I would do? I would make myself into a 90 foot tall Arnold Schwarzenegger Terminator character. (laughs) And I'd walk up to Portland (laughs) and I'd say, any questions? Like, like you know, because you know there's a lot of rascals in Portland. It's time to just show him who's boss. But that's not the way God reveals Himself to humanity. And I'm really, and I think about it more than 10 seconds. Isn't it something that He made Himself of no reputation and took upon Himself the form of a servant? Philippians 2 tells us. And how much more vulnerable can you be than a babe born in a sloppy manger? It's not the hallmark wooden manger with beautiful straw and this cozy little light and everything. Nope, the mangers of the, of the um, Old Testament in Israel were hewn out stone and cows and, and goats and stuff would slobber on the mangers. Uh, they weren't a beautiful thing. It was just like, where do we lay the baby? We'll put them in a manger. Um, and so they, that's all they had. They didn't even have room in the inn. It was like the most unimpressive entrance that the little town of Bethlehem largely missed the event is that something that the Lord came out as a little tiny nuts ear a little sprout? And it was pretty unimpressive. And, and I think the Lord did that on purpose. You see, part of what Jesus came to be was to be relatable and know all of our suffering, all of our hurts, all of our problems, all of our troubles. That's why the author of Hebrews says, for we have not a high priest who cannot understand or the, the idea is relate our suffering and our troubles. Jesus came and he lived a life that was um, more difficult than ours. More difficult than yours. He knows what it is to be human. Well, Brett, isn't he God? Yep. Isn't he human? Yep. How can that be? He's God. He can do whatever he wants. It's no big deal. 100% God, 100% human. Uh, I don't have a problem with that because he created the sun, so I don't have a problem with that. Um, but this this idea of the netzer, the branch, it's, it's reminding us of his humanity. And that's why that, that, that scripture that I read to you earlier from Isaiah 11, one and two, speaks of him as the root of Jesse, springing out of David from the root of Jesse, Jesse a rod would come. And that's what that Isaiah um, was telling us about, that, that this branch, he, he starts out as just a little sprout a that's there, unimpressive. Now in John chapter one, Uh, you know, John kicks off his gospel with this powerful description. In the beginning was the word, the word was with God, the word was God, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. You know, it's this powerful description. And then after kind of learning who Jesus was, he started gathering disciples to himself. And he gets, you know, a few of them. And uh, one of the guys that starts following him is a guy named Philip. Well, check out what Philip does once he meets Jesus, the Messiah, the branch. Check this out. It says, now Philip, this is uh, John uh, chapter uh, one, verse 45. It says, now Philip found Nathanael and he said to him, we have found him whom Moses in the law and the prophets did right, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. And Nathanael said unto him, can there any good thing come out of Nazareth? Philip said to him, come and see. Don't you love Philip? Man, we've met the Messiah. Really, are you kidding from Nazareth? I'm sure. No, come and see. That's a good thing to do, by the way, when you see the Bible critic, the Jesus cynic, say, come and see, come and see how the Lord is. Well, the story, if you remember, goes on where Philip and Nathanael walk up and Jesus, ah, oh, an Israelite in whom there is no guile. And Nathanael's like, how did you know that about me? What do you know about me? He said, I saw you and you were sitting under the fig tree. See, Nathanael thought he was the only one there. As it turns out, the Lord was there with him and knew what he was thinking about, something about how he was an Israelite with no guile or something like that. But at this point he says, you are the Messiah because you, you know all about me. It's a great story. But did you notice Nathaniel's cynicism first? Philip says, hey, I met the Messiah. Where's he from? Nazareth. Ha, what good thing. Now let me show you, when you go to Jerusalem, I've been to Nazareth nine times. I've toured the town a lot. Um, I've seen it up close. And when you go there, it's kinda, it's not, they don't go say Nazareth like we do. They call it Nazareth. Huh? Does that sound familiar? It's, it's basically twig town. It's a small little twig or sprout. Nazareth. It's Nazareth. It's the same word. It's where the word comes from. Jesus was from Nazareth. Nazareth. Um, now, now, not only that, it, it goes with the story that Nazareth happens to be one of those towns, and you know those towns There's certain towns that are sort of notorious, you know? Um, If you grew up like me in Southern Oregon, there's all these small towns and each town had its own personality. And there was always that town. Well, if you go to that town, you'll never, there's no promises, crazy things are gonna happen to you. Uh, How many of you guys are from Klamath Falls? Raise your hand, anybody? Oh, got a few Klamath Falls, crazy town, man. Uh, I, I remember we'd go play football in Klamath Falls and we'd always get in a fight. The cheerleaders, the coaches, the football players, the, the stand, we'd all go out into, what was it, the Klamath Falls, uh, what were they called? The Yes. Uh, and we'd always get in a fight and it was always crazy over there, the, the Klamath Falls. But, but you know, those that are from Klamath Falls, man, we're from Klamath Falls, tell you what. We love it. What good thing could come from Klamath Falls? I went to OIT, you say. Like I said, what good thing? No, I'm just just messing with you guys. Just messing, messing. But every time, now Klamath Falls is great, but that's the way they looked at Nazareth, the town Jesus was from. What good thing could come from Nazareth? Twig town, sprout town. And it wasn't the hopeful sprout, you know, uh, Shema town. It wasn't that. It was Nazareth, the town of the little unimpressive twig. That's where Jesus was from. Now, by the way, I told you I've been there. It is unimpressive. Like I've been there and seen the, the, the ruins of ancient Nazareth. And it, did you know what? It's smaller. You could fit the whole city in less than half of this sanctuary. It was a tiny little town. Yeah, but Brett, it sits on a beautiful cliff overlooking a beautiful valley. Yep. A valley called the Valley of Armageddon. That's Nazareth. I'm not kidding. That's the true story. Now, I'm not trying to bash Nazareth, but the point is that's the way Nathaniel thought about it. Now, you Bible prophecy buffs, you know that Jesus was, it confused people by the way, because Jesus, it was said that he would be born in Bethlehem, but he was raised in Nazareth. And by the way, both of those things fulfilled prophecy of the Old Testament, that he would be born in Bethlehem, but he would be called a Nazarene, a Nazarene, one from Nazareth. And the reason I kind of harp on this point is, isn't it funny, it's like the Lord, you know, to say, I'm gonna connect some dots for you all. Jesus, the branch, the righteous branch, the right, righteous, even though it was unimpressive, as he was born, the point is, he would, he would be born a man, a sprout of Jesse, the root of Jesse, and it speaks of his humility, and that he would move from humility to nobility. He starts as this little sprout that's unimpressive, air. And even those that met him, he's from Nazareth, what a loser. But then once they realized who he was, so you got some camouflage, you have hope. If Jesus was from Nazareth, listen, I tell you what, I love that Jesus was from Nazareth because he's like a lot of us. You know, he he had to live in a town that nobody even thought was cool. In fact, by the way, by the time you get to Jerusalem, do you remember? They recognized Peter because he spoke like a Galilean. He was from that region of Galilee. And back then they thought Galileans were a bunch of hicks. They could recognize their voice. They're they're the rednecks from Galilee. Um, that's, That's what they think. Isn't it funny that Jesus spent a lot of time in Galilee and Nazareth? The places that everybody else said was, that's loser stupidville. I love that Jesus humbled himself and came from that kind of a place. I love that. Now, if we had time, we could talk about the the little sprout that's nets air, how it becomes, you know, the sabah, a hopeful, hopeful sprout. And then it becomes a tree. And then it becomes a glorious tree. And I could, I could even go over kind of the progression of how Jesus reveals himself to the world and culminating in Revelation chapter 22, at the end of the book. What happens in Revelation that we see a tree, and I'm gonna say this is probably the most glorious tree for you, earth first tree hugging types. Forget hugging trees here. The best tree that you'll ever see is the one we're gonna see at the very end. It's in Revelation chapter 22, and I'll just read it to you real quick. It says here, Revelation 22 2. It says, In the midst of the street of it, and on either side of the river, there was a tree of life which bare 12 manner of fruits and yielded her fruit every month, and the leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. Man, and I could talk about the tree of life and all that, but this is where Jesus grows to be this glorious tree that the nations are healed, and if this is you know not only um, you know the millennial kingdom, but the new heaven and the new earth, we're going to see this massive tree that makes all other trees look like nothing. From humility to nobility, that's the nuts air, that's the sama, the, the branch, the righteous branch. Number two, as we think about the branch and what it means, the Messiah who's called the branch, it means purity for carnality. And this is important because you and I, we're carnal, we're sinful, we we don't deserve purity, but we get purity or righteousness because of the branch. That's why the Old Testament prophets often associate the branch, the Messiah, the title of the branch, to the name of God, Jehovah Sidkenu, or he's called the righteous branch. Why? Because being linked to the branch is what makes a person pure. From, from carnality to purity, this is what happens when you have the branch. Now this, this title uh, or name, I should say, of the Lord, Jehovah Tzidkanu, again, we looked at that on Wednesday night. If you missed that study, we did an in-depth study on that. But I love this because this, this name of God, Jehovah, our righteousness, When Jeremiah reveals this in 23, uh, 5 and 6, our verse of today, when he reveals this, not only the title, the branch, but also the name, Jehovah Sidgenu, he ties the two together. And this is cool because during that time, do you know what the king, his name was? At that time was Zedekiah. And Zedekiah, his name means the Lord Jehovah is my righteousness, which is impressive. The problem is Zedekiah was a total loser, and didn't believe in God and worshiped idols and did all kinds of horrible things. Zedekiah was not a good king, (coughs) excuse me. But Jehovah "Canoe is not just the Lord is my righteousness. that's, That's not what it is. It's the Lord, our righteousness. And this is where as a believer of Jesus, this is where it gets so glorious. You and I will never measure up. I hope you understand that by now. You know, you trying to be good enough, you will find you will never be good enough. It never happens. The Bible declares no one was made righteous by the keeping of the law. Well, then what was the purpose of the law? Read Galatians. Galatians tells us that the Jews were given the law to prove that we couldn't do it. In in other words, the Jews were our best foot forward. They were the ones that if anybody could have done it, it was them, but they couldn't. Even the best of them couldn't. So Galatians, written by Paul the Jew, he says, so the law, what purpose does it serve? It's a schoolmaster that drives us to Jesus who is our righteousness. And this is what we call imputed righteousness. How does that work out? Read the book of Romans chapter four. I love Romans for it. Can I give you some of the high points? Romans chapter four deals with this in talking about Abraham. Do you guys remember how was Abraham saved? Was it by the keeping of laws? Keeping the Sabbath, sacrificing on altars at the temple. Is that how Abraham was saved? No. Quoting Romans is quoting from Genesis. It says, Abraham believed God, and it was counted unto him for righteousness. How was Abraham saved? By believing God. And by the way, the same way the Old Testament believers were saved, not by keeping of the law, but by faith in believing, that's how they were saved. So Abraham was saved because he was declared righteous by the believing in God. Now, by the way, the devil believes in God, doesn't he? But he doesn't believe God. See, that's the difference. Abraham believed God. What he said, believed what he said, what would happen. He trusted the Lord in everything. The devil believes God's existence, but he doesn't believe God. That's the difference. So then Romans, Paul takes it further. He says, because Abraham believed God, his faith counted for righteousness. And then in verse 13, he says, but through the righteousness of faith. What happens? Through the righteousness of faith, he goes on and says, and therefore it was imputed to him for righteousness. Now, this is a doctrinal term that you should be aware of, imputed. We'll talk about that in a second. Uh, Romans chapter four, verse 24 says, but for us also, that's all of us, uh, you know, the church, the Gentiles, the Jews, For us also, to whom it shall be imputed, if we believe on him that raised up Jesus, our Lord, from the dead. Later on in Romans chapter 10, verse 9 and 10, it says, If you believe that God raised up Jesus from the dead, if you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus was raised up from the dead, it says you will be saved. Man, I love that. So how does that happen? Believing in God, believing the work of the cross and Jesus. How does that work? When you do that, you are then having imputed righteousness. The word imputed, it means that the Lord sort of superimposes his righteousness over your ugliness. Um, Isaiah talks about it, doesn't he? When he says that we are robed in his righteousness. It's not your goodness or your righteousness that saves you. It's his. And this is where there's a picture in this righteous branch that you and I need to see. Uh, By the way, Romans chapter one also gives us a little bit of this. For I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. It is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first, also to the Greek or the Gentiles, the idea there. For therein is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, the just shall live by faith. The just, justified, means you've just, just like you've never sinned before. Um, When you have been given that imputed righteousness, the Lord sees you as sinless. He takes your sin and puts it as far as the East is from the West, and he remembers your sins no more. I love this. Now, the righteous branch, you say, okay Brett, so his righteousness is imputed onto us. But what does that have to do with a branch? Well, this is where the branch is important. For you and I, as uh, people who believe in Christ, do you realize we are born in death? That's why Jesus said, you need to be born again. When John talked to Nicodemus there at night, it's interesting, he said, you must be born again. Why? Because we were born in sin, born in death. But when you connect yourself to the branch, what is that called when you take a branch of a fruit tree and you you glue it into another branch it's called being? grafted. One of the things the Bible says is how we as Gentiles get to be grafted into the vine of the Jews. But this is where it starts getting even more interesting. Point number three about this branch, it changes mortality to immortality. By you and I connecting ourselves to the branch, that gives us, we're just a dead branch in sin. But if you connect yourself to the branch, but how, where do you read about that? Check it out. Jesus talked about it, didn't he? In John chapter 15, he said, I am the true vine, and my father is the husbandman. He goes on in verse four. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself, except it abide in the vine. No more can you, except you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. He that abideth in me, and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit. For without me, you can do what? Nothing. A dead branch laying on the ground can do nothing. But if you abide in the vine and if you're grafted into the vine, Jesus, you might even say the tree or the trunk. Is anybody, you know, if you see uh, during Hanukkah, the Jews bust out the menorah. Another Old Testament picture of Christ. They had the, the candlestick there in the tabernacle. that looked, it was like a menorah. It had a single post in the middle with branches coming out of each side. And you know, Jesus said, I am the vine, you are the branches. Jesus also said, I am the light of the world. And then he said, and you are the lights of the world. You see, the, the menorah sort of is a tree. And by the way, the original menorah there in the temple or in the tabernacle, it had pomegranate fruit on the branches. It was meant to look sort of like a tree. And so Jesus said, unless you abide in the vine, you will not be alive and you will not bear fruit. And apart from me, you can do nothing. So Jesus, the branch, as it turns out, you and I are supposed to be connected and become other branches, little sprouts from the the true branch, Jesus. Jesus said, I am the true vine. You and I are the false vine. But guess what? When we are made righteous in Christ, when we accept Jesus, we are connected then to him, And we go from mortality of death and hell to immortality where we get to live forever in heaven because we're alive and we're connected to the righteous branch. Are you starting to see how valuable this imagery is of being the branch, Jesus, the Messiah, the branch? Man, I love this. He was the branch. It speaks of humility to nobility. It means purity for carnality. It speaks of mortality to immortality. But, but lastly, Um, On our list here, number four, the branch speaks of, and here we go, beauty to idolatry. Huh, what? How does it go to idolatry? Well, if you wanna make this beautiful image of Jesus the branch, the tree, um, the cross, and all the things that we've been talking about, if you wanna make it ugly, what what do you do? Well, you take and chop off the branch. Um, Taking Jesus out of Christmas is taking the, the branch out of Christmas, which is a big bummer. How would you like to have a Christmas tree with no branches? What if you're, you're, you know, your dad went out and cut down the tree and then lopped off all the branches and then you have just kind of a pole in your house? Would that be beautiful? Oh, Christmas tree, oh, Christmas tree. How lovely are your stumps? It's like, that'd be a bummer. But a lot of people try to do Christmas without the branch, big goof. And you say, but shouldn't there only be one branch? Back to the Charlie Brown Christmas tree, one branch, Jesus. Yeah, but then Jesus said, I am the mind, you are the branches. So the, when I see the Christmas tree, I see this beautiful picture. Now this is where some of you sanctimonious people that are saying, yeah, but, but you're still a pagan. <laughs> and you're a pagan like 20 times over as you guys have like 20 Christmas trees in here. Um, would you turn to Jeremiah chapter 10 with me real quick? I wanna show you how wrong that notion is. In Jeremiah chapter 10, this is where it speaks of a practice that does in fact, you have to understand, you know, um, it's, it's funny to me because there's so many people that they wanna act like they know stuff and they think that they get a little information from the Encyclopedia Britannica that they think Christmas is just a pagan holiday. Well, I, I'll give it to you, you know, the pagan celebration of basically Saturn or Saturnalia was the Roman uh, celebration of agriculture and time. And they did it around this time of year. Uh, As it turns out, it was a single day when it first started. But late in the Republic of Rome, they moved it into like a several day feast. By 133 BC, they were celebrating Saturnalius. And it was a winter week long festival beginning December 17th uh, on the Julian calendar, by the way, which the Romans used at the time. And winter solstice, as it turned out, fell on December 25th. So during Saturnalia, work and business came to a screeching halt. Uh, people had the day off or the, or the days off. Uh, social patterns, you know, suspended. Uh, people decorated their homes with wreaths. And they also had other greenery, branches and stuff. They'd shed their traditional togas of Rome. And they would actually start putting on colorful clothes known as synthesis. Did you know that? That's what they called their clothes that were colorful synthesis. Synthesis. And, um, and then what they did is they also even had their slaves. They'd give their slaves a day off. How nice of them. Actually, there's, there's stories of the Romans trading places with the slaves during this winter solstice festival where they would have the slaves sit at the table and the masters would serve the slaves. Maybe it was trying to ease their guilty conscience for having slaves. But either way, it was a pagan holiday around this time. Um, now, by the way, um, the practices of that included priests uh, of this uh, ancient. It actually stemmed from ancient Babylon that made all the way to Rome. But in Babylon, it started with Nimrod, Semiramis, Temuz, the Tower of Babel, all that stuff. But these pagan practices made their all the way to Rome. But when Constantine came into power, he became they believe a Christian. I don't know if he did or not. Only the Lord knows that for sure. But he saw a cross and the name of this cross, and you know he, all this stuff about Constantine. But right around 300 AD, um, you know, they shifted to more of a Christian thing. And they said, all these priests of their, you know, Saturnalia and their priests of paganism, they said, yeah, we're Christians now. What are we gonna do? And and they said, no sweat, you priests, you guys in your pointy hats and your robes and everything, keep them. Just instead of Saturnalia, we'll celebrate the birth of Jesus. Even though Jesus wasn't born anywhere near December. We're just gonna change it to December 25th. And it'll be his birthday. And then, you know, we'll throw the Yule log. That's a pagan practice. Mistletoe, pagan practice. These are all things that we got from ancient Rome. Um, You say, well, Brett, the Christmas tree too. Not really. Nope. Nothing like what we have here. Um, This is where we go to Jeremiah chapter 10, verse one. It says, not verse one, sorry. Yeah, verse one. Jeremiah 10.1. This is only the third time I've done this, so um, I'm still kidding. Um, Hear ye the word which the Lord speaks unto you, O house of Israel, saith the Lord, learn not the way of the heathen, and be not dismayed at the signs of heaven. Stargazing, astrology. Um, Be not dismayed at the signs of heaven, for the heathen are dismayed at them. For the customs, um, notice your margin, the statutes or ordinances are or vanity. So the customs of the people are vain. For one cutteth a tree out of the forest, the work uh, of the hands of the workmen with the ax. They deck it with silver and gold and fasten it with nails and with hammers, that it move not. They are upright as the palm tree, but speak not. They must needs be borne or carry. You have to carry them around because they cannot walk or cannot go. Be not afraid of them, for they cannot do evil, neither also is it in them to do good. What is he talking about here? I can see how a casual reading of this, you say, man, they went into a forest, cut down a tree, nailed a stand on it, and stuck it in their house, and that's a Christmas tree. And not only that, they decked it with silver. Decked the halls with owls of holy. See, they decked it with silver and with gold. Satan. And, and Santa. You just change the letters around, and... And it makes Satan. Come on, little red suit, I'm talking, you know, hey. Now, listen again, what is going on here? Here's the part you miss. These people were not doing what we do with a Christmas tree. What they did is they went in the forest, chopped down a tree, but the wording here in the Hebrew, it says the workman with the work of the ax. The idea is they would take the tree and they would delimit, cut it down, bring it, and they would shape it into some form of idol, a wooden you know, shape of an idol, Baal, Ashtoreth, you know, uh, one of these gods or goddesses. And then they would deck it or literally cover it with gold or silver. And they would make an idol. And that's why it says, even though they're standing upright, they cannot walk. That's what it's saying, you have to carry it around. And it's because it, they made it into a lifelike shape. And then should you be afraid of that little lifelike chick? No, it can do nothing, neither good nor evil. That's the idea. It's talking about these idols that they built and they made. So yes, if you're doing what they did and you're going into the forest and you're cutting down a tree and you're making it into a shape, covering it with gold, dancing nakedly around it, that's what they did. Getting out your astrological charts and dancing nakedly around your idol. Yeah, you should probably stop that. That's pagan. And don't do that. But if you're cutting a tree because you like the smell of an evergreen in your house and it's fun to put things that bring back memories of fun times as ornaments and, 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 and also you're seeing the symbology of a tree like we've been talking about, that man, the tree of Calvary and the healing of the, the tree of the cross and, and, and the branches and Jesus being the branch and us being able to being tied into the branch. And we can explain this to our kids. Jesus is the vine, we're the branches. And unless you're connected to the, to the center, you cannot live. It's such a beautiful picture. And, and that's why I wanna to try to dispel this whole, you know, Grinch who stole Christmas attitude. Babylonian paganism, Christmas trees. No, it's just not even close to the same thing. Yeah, but Brett, it came from the winter solstice, Saturday, nobody I know is worshiping that or talking about that or or thinking even about that until I brought it up or you brought it up. Stop it, just enjoy letting this. I love it that this time of year, even the most secular of people are starting to think about nice things like Christ giving Christmas. Uh, Those are good things. Those are Christian kind of, it was one of those holidays that was sort of converted to something that was good. Halloween didn't make that transition. Um, But uh, I'm thankful for those that changed it from Saturnalia and the winter solstice. By the way, I I remember when uh, the city of Eugene, a few years back, they were in that whole mode where we're not gonna call it a Christmas tree. We're gonna call it a holiday tree. Um, And I was always like, that's so stupid. Like, like, let me just say why that's so stupid. Because they were trying to, you know, we don't want anything religious, so we're gonna call it a holiday tree. Do you know where the word holiday came from? Holy day. <laughs> Duh. So they were calling it a holiday tree in Eugene, and then somebody pointed that out. Uh, the whole holiday means holy day. Oh, do you know what they started? You know what the official name for the Christmas tree became in Eugene? Winter solstice tree. That's going back to paganism. That's, that's going back to what they would have called it back in the old days. Um, and and I'm, I'm, I'm really thankful that as Christians, we've seen the transition. Now, I love that here in our little story here, the Old Testament calls, I hope you have a, 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 a love in your heart for that title of our Messiah, Jesus, the branch. The reason that's so good is because it, it shows that he came in humility and lived among us. And then he sprouted into this tree that's glorious. And and we really get to see this transition from humility to nobility. The branch speaks of purity for carnality. We are called righteous. We are given that imputed righteousness, purity, because he's the righteous branch. The branch gives us life. As we accept Christ, we're connected to the branch. I am the vine, you are the branches. You cannot live unless you abide in me or hang in there with me. The branch, Jesus, the Messiah. But he also, we have to watch out from the beauty of the cross of Jesus. And what happens when you chop the branches off? Well, then you're making an idol. And that's what Christmas is minus Jesus. If you take the branches out of Christmas or the branch itself, you've got, that's where it starts to become back to paganism. Commercial Christmas that's only about, you know, uh, Hallmark and buying and all that. Forget that. Let's keep the branch, the righteous branch at the center of our celebrations that Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, and the life.